Welcome to Invest in Yourself, the Digital Entrepreneur Podcast. Join the podcast mogul Phil Better as he interviews successful entrepreneurs that make their living in the digital world. Now, let's join your host, Phil Better, and his special guest today on Invest in Yourself, the Digital Entrepreneur Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Invest in Yourself, the Digital Entrepreneur Podcast. I am, of course, your host with the most Phil Better. And today I'm very happy to have a guy who's already generated over a billion dollars in revenue and profits, Mr. Fred Joel. How are you doing today, Fred? You know, it's been an amazing day so far. So I'm I, I'm hoping this is the icing on the cake. Oh, I'm hoping too. I, I'm definitely with our preamble just before we going live here on the show. I'm pretty sure this is going to be uh, icing on both our cakes. Um, I'm going to give you a, a quick bio of your you here that I have on your website because I I thoroughly enjoy the last line of it on your website. The just a bit about Fred bit. So I have to read it to my audience, and then I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself to the. Uh, guess okay. some of the things that aren't here so it says here fred joal is an author speaker entrepreneur and business advisor along with a lucrative career in advertising and marketing he co-founded the most successful dentist referral service in the country 1-800 dentist which i want to ask you about which over 30 years generated over a billion dollars in revenue along with super bowl he has written two books on dentist dental marketing dabbled in stand-up and improv comedy acted in bad movies and excellent tv commercials and visited over 44 countries around the world that's amazing he has an honorary doctor of arts degree from the university of rhode island and perhaps because of his generous donations probably uh he once beat sir richard branson in chess and also was a question on jeopardy which is a high honor just there being on jeopardy uh he is an avid cyclist a below average tennis player and an even worse golfer now i love the humbling bit at the end you know you're an average below average tennis player but even worse golf golfer why did you put that in your your little bio I, because bios are so damn boring most yeah. of the time, you know, that uh, that people, they, 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 it's, you, they read their curriculum vitae and it's like, oh, please stop. I don't care how many societies you are part of and how many boards you sit on. Tell me something interesting. So I, I exercise that discipline on myself. There you go. And I'm guessing that's a secret to your, uh, your being bold um, and uh, helping you write that book. So, Fred, uh, how about you give us a bit more of a uh, intro than just the, 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 the business card intro there? Yeah. So uh, I wandered around not knowing what I was going to do for most of my 20s uh, until the day I walked into an ad agency and I said, these are my people. I can, I can do this. I could, I couldn't think of anything I wanted to do for a year, never mind a career. And the, the second I walked in there, the feel of it, the energy and the possibilities, because I loved writing. I didn't know how to write advertising, but there was a night school in LA at the time taught by working creative directors that taught how to write advertising. And I did it for six months. And when I was done, I mean, these guys, they just hammered you until you got good because I had language skills. I just didn't have ad writing skills. And that transformed me in my ability. And then all of those businesses I'd worked in, all of those shit jobs I had, um, I understand how owners thought about business. So they would bring me into these pitch meetings and and I would pitch my stuff because I was young enough to think everything I wrote was 
brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and and so and I pitched the hell out of it. And it, it that was the first place I really developed my own confidence was because they were responding to my energetic, enthusiastic presentation of my content, as well as the 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 pitch itself, the the creative itself. And eventually I said, I don't like the career arc. I love advertising, but I don't like the career. It falls off a cliff at 50 um, mm. and you can't, you can't give your yourself away. They you go from making 300 grand a year to you can't get 70 uh, when they lay you off. And I, and I, I was watching this happen and I said, I, I can't let that happen to me. I was already 30 at the time. And so I ended up coincidentally starting 1-800-DENTIST. This is in the 80s where dentists were just starting to do advertising. And a a guy I knew that I had worked in his startup had grabbed this phone number, 800-DENTIST. He grabbed the the toll-free number. And this was back when you had to tell people that 800 numbers were toll-free in the commercial. Mm -hmm. They didn't know what the hell they were. Um, But it was the perfect memorable thing that allowed us to do radio commercials without saying our phone number over and over again. And they would remember it for whenever they needed a dentist. So it was this great trick almost of advertising because our name was our brand was our way to contact us. Just like your website is now, this was that then. And we, it became really hard to compete with because once we got traction in a city, once we got critical mass in the advertising, n- nobody could touch us. And so uh, we didn't know any of this. We were just two young guys dumb enough to think we could start our own business. And, and so we beat the streets, found 20 dentists to go along with it. And uh, we ran the radio spots. We had a little call center we set up and we got 50 phone calls first day. Dang, and and we said, "Holy crap! This this what we're what we're telling the dentist might not be bullshit, right? It <laughs> might actually this this might actually work." Um, and and so uh, we just kept adding dentists and spending all the money on media, just every month pump it all into media and make it up the next month by adding more members. And then we, so we grew that. Then we would go, we would jump from LA to San Diego, to San Francisco, to Sacramento. We, we eventually did all of California and then eventually rolled out city by city around the US. And, you know, we peaked out at about just under $50 million a year in revenue. Um, and which, and it, and, and we had just a tremendous heyday. It was a, we had a great place to work. People loved working there. Uh, we made really good money for a really long time. Uh, and then, you know, and then we, you know, we, we, we needed to pivot the business and my partner had gone passive. And so he wanted to get bought out. And so, and I wanted to buy this other, this SaaS product, uh, uh, software as a service yeah. for those who don't know. Um, which we, cause we needed to pivot badly because Google was eating our lunch. Uh, yeah. And while we were paying them a half a million dollars a month to get clicks, uh, to just support ourselves along with the TV average, TV was becoming worse and worse. And then streaming destroyed it as a viable broadcast medium for us. Mm-hmm. So we needed this. But so I brought in private equity and we hired 
another CEO, they said, we want to bring in professional management, which means get me out of that CEO seat. This guy, he destroyed the culture and, and lost the, the SaaS product in a lawsuit that he got in with the guy. And that thing would have been worth a hundred million dollars by itself. And, and he flatlined it. And after two years, he walked from the job and, and I, and it was nothing. I was powerless because I had sold majority ownership at that point. And so eventually I found another buyer to pull it out of the private equity guys that should have gotten traction, but they merged into another business and they had a total culture clash. We had this great plan with the one business that bought us the other business was too busy trying to crush this their the, the business that bought me to to make their culture the dominant one and we became the redheaded stepchild and that was like the finishing blow to the business <sighs> so sometimes it goes as bad as it can possibly go uh but i don't care that's like i had a great time i made a t- ton of money i bought more crap than i'll ever need <laughs> so now i don't have to buy anything i drive a honda right because i've driven a whole bunch of fancy cars and i and they made me like two and a half percent happier. Um, so it's it's a great thing to be able to blow money and survive that, knowing that the buying all that crap doesn't mean a lot. And the impact you can have on people's lives and giving them great jobs and giving them, you know, creating a business that provides a great service, those things are gratification. And being there when whenever anybody needs you, that's what's important to me now. And teaching boldness, of course. Yeah, because because in your uh, in your bio it says how you started off as a shy, timid person uh, before you became this bold, amazing uh, uh, person who's been in film and done stand up. Um, how did you get to make it a superpower? How did you figure out that boldness was a superpower? You know, the motivation was missed opportunities from hesitation. I, when I figured out that hesitation was the opportunity killer in my life. I said, and I looked at bold people and I was like, why are they like this? Right. They do not process rejection the way I do. It bounces right off them. They don't even acknowledge it as anything. They try and nobody stops them. They, and the, but the real thing I learned was they never stop themselves. And when I figured out it was me stopping me, not anybody else. That was like it, when it clicked. And I said, I just got to be uncomfortable and not worry about it and, and fail upwards um, it, it, by just putting myself out there and, and living with the discomfort till I got comfortable. And it created this positive feedback loop because every time I did it, every venture into boldness, I was rewarded sometimes with something completely unexpected. But even with a failure of some kind, like I tried to meet some woman and, you know, and it was, I embarrassed myself or whatever. I still came away saying, ah, but I, but I walked up to her. So I don't feel bad about myself. Like I would have, if I never walked up to her and what could I say differently? And I, but so by being bold and putting myself in these failure situations, I got better. I get better and better at social skills. And then it translated to being better and better on stage because I started speaking. You know, 
and I'll, I'll go back to, I talked about improv comedy and it's mentioned in my, my bio as well, because it was the linchpin of my creative and performance success because of the way they teach improv comedy, which is you start so basic. People say, how the hell could anybody walk on stage and create a scene? Well, you don't start that way. <laughs> you start non-verbally and gradually build up using the techniques of improv. And all of a sudden you realize you can trust your brain if you're just not anxious and you're just not trying to worry so much about the end point that you're, that you're aiming for. Instead, you just add your piece to it. And it taught me about collaboration. It taught me about, uh, the, the fact that my brain, given the opportunity in an energized state, I could be incredibly creative. The pressure of it, if I didn't allow myself to be nervous or anxious, I just allowed myself to be energized. I took all of that anxiety, turned it into being energetic. I, it was really powerful, that, what I could come up with. And, and you do it enough and you say, wow, this, this is actually how it works. And then, of course, when you're speaking on a stage and you have prepared material, that's really easy. You know, you don't have to come up with everything. But here's the thing. When you're prepared and you've done this type of creative training, the preparation becomes the foundation for being spontaneous. And you come up with something in the moment. It's like, I don't know, have you ever watched stand-up comics like when they're, they're testing out new jokes? Yeah. They start the joke. They don't have a punchline yet. They got a they got a bit that they're going they they're, they're going to work it out cuz it they're going to work it out in front of the audience and feel what the people are starting to respond to, but it's also the tension of being on stage that they got to finish the joke somehow. And the brain goes, "Well, what about this and this and this and this?" Right? The brain's in a full active mode and they come up with the punchline and, and then they come up with a tag to the punchline. All, and it all happens on stage and it's because they trust it. And it's, uh, it's when you learn that about yourself, it's amazing what you can discover. No, it's true. It's, it's like venturing into entrepreneurship for the first time. You have to trust yourself that you can do this. You, that you have to believe in yourself. It's the same thing. It's that boldness that you need. Um, how did you come up with the idea of writing a book about helping people become bold? I, it, it was had such an impact on my life because I, I would see people who were as shy and underconfident as I was. And it was actually, it happened when I was teaching these high school students. I was a mentor in this weekend workshop for them. And somebody was teaching them uh, how to manage their time, their money, their, their, their relationships and do goal setting. And it was very revolutionary sort of thing. And there were a bunch of uh, business people that were mentors in it. And I had put together like my life lessons uh, at the time. And one of them, I told them was boldness is a superpower. Um, and I said, you know, when you understand this, the sooner you understand this in your life is that bold people are the ones who make all the difference and bold people are never the ones who stop themselves. And all the great stuff happens when you are bold. And all the regrets you have are because you weren't. When you understand that, everything will change. Your, your life will accelerate 
towards your dreams? And they said, yeah, but how? <laughs> and I thought, okay, I got to analyze how I did it. How did I change? And that's what I did. And I spent years really evolving it to, to get to the point of writing this book and, and creating the exercises and creating the system that somebody can do it in an extremely accelerated way. You can do it in 90 days rather than 90 years like I did. I highly doubt it took you 90 years, if <laughs> yeah. anything, at least I'm, half a I'm, decade. Hyperbole is a viable form of advertising. It is. It's, <laughs> it's one of the best uh, forms of advertising, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I do want to get into a tip of how someone let's how can someone be bold? Like can start being bold. Like what's their first step they can do? I don't want you to give away all your secrets because I do want them to buy the book because it's already no, and, and I'm happy to share as much as possible because the book talks about the mindset. It talks about social skills and communication skills that a lot of people don't have. Like how a simple thing is, how do you make somebody feel like the most important person in the room? It's really easy. And when you see somebody do it, and, I, and I've seen many people do it till I figure out how to do it myself, it's magical. And you can do it with 20 people in the room, one at a time. But so I, I talk about that stuff too. And then I have exercises that, that, they can, that are actually based on how improv was taught. It's exactly the same way. Um, but the number, when people say, well, wait, how do I stop or start? I say, talk to a stranger every day. Every single day, grocery store, uh, the line at Starbucks, uh, it, it, you know, somebody in an elevator, just do it. And they say, well, you know, what if I can't think of something to say? I'd say, that's your problem. You think you need to be really interesting or clever or witty or funny. You just have to be nice. You just have to say hello. It's a, if hello is too much, say hi. Okay, start with one syllable. If that's too much, just smile at people. And, you know, smile at 10 people a day. And two of them won't smile back. But you thought it was going to be all 10. But what happens is people smile back. And the two that didn't smile back, you start to realize they don't smile at anybody. Or this is the worst day of their life. You don't take it on. And that becomes like the, the, the first layer of trusting that you don't have to worry about what other people think about you, because that's the big shift in life. When bold people don't, they don't, they have a handful of people whose opinions matter, and then they don't worry about everybody else, because everybody's got judgments about everybody, and we're wrong about 90% of the time. So when you know that, you say, okay, they could have a judgment about me. But it's not accurate. So I don't have to feel bad about it. Uh, I don't have to take it on. I can focus on chasing my dreams. And so when you talk to a stranger every day, you start to build this boldness muscle. Because all you have to do is say hi, or even better, compliment them. Wow, that's a great beard you've got. You know, I can't grow a beard at all. And that your beard looks great, you know, or... You know, my skin's, you know, the wrong color for tattoos or whatever, or I'm afraid of needles and your tattoo looks great. I mean, it's a million things you can say to somebody. What I do is I, I pick the thing that I find irritating or stupid about the person or weird. And I compliment them on that because 
I'm having a stupid judgment about them. It's like, oh, that that's a goofy hat that guy's got on. He looks ridiculous in that. So what I do is I force myself to go over and say, man, that hat really works on you. That That's a great hat. You know what it does? Changes my opinion of the person. Because I was attached to a, a meaningless and erroneous judgment. And instead, I made that person feel good about themselves. Start there. That's an awesome tip. That's That just creates a better world. Just yeah. not only will you become a bolder person by doing this because you're doing that step, but complimenting someone on something that may annoy you about them or you're having this false, false judgment on something, and it just makes the other person feel better. And you're making the world a better place because you're happy, making it 1% happier. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you're, you're walking around sprinkling fairy dust, you know, it's, it's, it being, you're, you're an uplifting voice moving through the world. What, why not be that? There you go. That, if anything, that's the best tip I've heard this week um, from uh, my experts that I get to have the chance to talk to with. And funny enough, I get to talk to uh, strangers every day because I do this podcast and I get to meet amazing entrepreneurs like yourself, Fred. Um, In your journey, because you had a 30 plus year journey so far, um in your entrepreneurial journey and that what has been your favorite moment would you say wow um the most gratifying moment for me in business was the month that i retired from the business okay we every month we did uh birthdays for whoever had a birthday that month we would celebrate their birthdays and we would celebrate anniversaries where you know 5 10 15 year whatever whatever anniversary somebody had hit that month my last week at work at on cake day as we called it i celebrated 3 25 year employees and a 10 year employee all in the same month that that spoke to me. I was so proud of the culture that they defended, that they created, that Gary and I, my partner, we started it, but they sustained it. They refined it. They, and, and, and the key word is they defended it. We didn't have to, because it was so precious to them. And these three, these three people, their entire adult work life was working for me. And I, I was just, I was so proud of, of the business that we had created. It was, it was just a, a peak moment for me. No, that is a, a great moment to have because having even one person last 30 years with your company, you have two, you're celebrating on the week of your retirement, plus a tenure. That, that's insane. I don't know many people who would stay with a company that long um, or would have trust in uh, such a young company to begin with. This, yeah. To see it go for so long. That's an amazing, that is a gratifying memory to have um, for your career and something like you could, that's a good gold star to have, if I would say so. Um, uh, we're going to be coming up to the end here and I, I hate it because I love chatting with uh, my entrepreneurs, but I want to know, because um, I'm a voracious book uh, reader, I love reading books and uh, my, my guests always provide the best source of books because you're, you're all so well read. Uh, apart from your book, uh super bold uh a power uh what is a book that you would suggest entrepreneurs start reading 
you know, I always, if they, if they haven't thought about business enough or they don't have enough experience in business, good to great, uh, is, is such a good primer for, uh, anybody who's trying to understand how businesses work um that um and, but and there's there's so many other books but there there's that i've used so many of those principles over and over and over again that came from good to great and great by choice by, by jim collins um I, I've, everything by simon sinek to me mm-hmm. is is incredible uh you know start with why leaders eat last the infinite game. Um, but if I, if, if I were really trying to get somebody to think about what's important, see, I'm, I'm cheating. I'm giving you books galore here. Hey, it's okay. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be stacking this on Amazon to read books. So we're fine. <laughs> Is um, uh, man's search for meaning by Viktor Frankl, who is a Auschwitz survivor. And when you hear somebody talk about that experience and how powerfully he moves through life without bitterness and actually is can be inspiring and the most amazing thing if i had to extract a single lesson from the book because there's tons of them because you don't have any right to feel sorry for yourself when you, uh, you know, about somebody scratched your car when when the, this guy's gone through, you know, his entire family was killed in the camps and he was the only one who let, who who survived. Um, but when he said in the book, the the pause between stimulus and response is where all growth happens. And it's so it's that pause that you take between your reaction that you feel and the response that you offer. Because most people, there's no gap. They say what they, they have an emotional reaction, they have an emotional response. But as you the more time you give it, the more you start to think about, whoa, what would I say that got me the outcome? that I was looking for rather than what I needed to purge. I'm, that made me angry. So I need to say something in anger. Really? Is that what I want? Is it, do I need to express my anger or do I want this person to not misunderstand me or to not act that way or, or to reflect differently on what they do? If I hear somebody tell a racist joke, I could, my first reaction is to smack them, okay? My next reaction is to say, you know, at this point, that's a really insensitive joke and you probably should strike it from your repertoire. But I got to pause to do it because I can't say it angry because, you know, it's almost like the Terminator with like the, when the three questions that he gets and he's like, buck off asshole. That's the final answer. Right. Uh, It's like your first thing is I'm going to hit him or I'm going to tell him he's a complete asshole for still doing this. But then what I want him to understand is uh, those days are over. You can't tell that joke anymore as calmly and, and, uh, gently as I can, because I want them 
to change. I want like the outcome is I want them to not tell the joke anymore. And it, you know, the more you can apply that principle, that taking that pause, which is sometimes a day, and it and it applies to responding to emails. You know, the 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 number of times that I have reread an email and said, "Yeah, I'm going to see if I want to send this tomorrow," because it, I'm 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 letting off steam, you know, and just a, an even more powerful example is when I was in college and my parents were getting divorced. I sat down and I wrote my my dad this long, scathing letter. And my roommate read it and he said, you don't want to send this. And I never sent it. And that changed my whole relationship with my father, that I didn't send that letter. So the... Uh, uh, just that one thing that my my roommate did for me was transformational in the, in in the arc of one of the most important relationships in my life, because somebody made me pause. Jesus, great way to end this episode! My God, just taking a moment to be pause, also pause to for boldness, because uh, it takes you you need to be bold to take that pause and not take that immediate reaction. Um, so tiny at all. Wow. Um, Fred, I'm going to jump off screen. I'm going to let you tell my audience where they can find out more about you, follow you and all that stuff, because uh, you've been an amazing guest and I have to give you this, uh, this, uh, honor. So go ahead and tell us where we can follow you. Thanks, Phil. So, uh, the easiest way to find me is fredjoyle.com J O Y A L no dots or dashes. Actually, you can find me anywhere. As Fred Joyle, I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram as and Twitter as Fred Joyle. Um, but my website, you can download the first chapter of my book if you want. The book is also available on Amazon uh, in hardcover, Kindle and Audible. And it's me reading the Audible book. Uh, and if you do the audible or the kindle you can download the exercises from my website because i want you to have the physical exercises from the book because it's about doing the exercises it's a book about action it's not something to read and go wow these are great ideas you got to do something you got to do something every day to build that boldness muscle and um you can uh, download the first chapter of the book on the website but also i'm launching a two-day workshop a super bold workshop that will in a very safe environment really put you through in a, an accelerated growth of your confidence and boldness. I'm doing it in Los Angeles uh, and you can find out more about it on the website and you can book a half hour conversation with me on the website if you want to talk about it and see if it's right for you. So fredjoyle.com is the way to go. Excellent. Fred, I want to thank you so much for being an awesome guest and sharing uh, your story about being bold and uh, giving us that amazing tip. Uh, two amazing tips, uh, from uh, one from your life and one from the book. Uh, to my audience, remember, you can find all the links to Fred's stuff and website in the uh, show notes down below. And always remember to invest in yourself.